good to have your company. I'm Dr Barry Harker and you are listening to The Bible Teachers. If you've been listening over the last few weeks, you would have heard me in conversation with Pastor Peter Watts on his series, Is God for Real? Today we're beginning a new series with Pastor Danny Malenkoff, entitled The Search for Certainty. Welcome, Danny. Thank you, Barry. Good to be here. Could you tell me a little about yourself and uh, also what we can expect from the series? Sure, I'd love to. Um, yeah, as 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 you shared, um, my name, um, my my surname, Malenkov, um, gives it away that I'm not from an Anglo-Saxon background, even though I may sound like that. Um, my origins are from Macedonia. And my parents are Macedonian, grandparents are Macedonian, and so forth. And I guess I was conceived in Macedonia many years ago and um, uh, born in Melbourne, in the western suburbs of Melbourne, in Footscray, to be exact, and have a lovely wife and uh, two beautiful daughters. And as far as this series is concerned, Barry, The Search for Certainty is a series where we'll seek to discover the certainty that we can have in God's Word. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world today. That's not news to anyone. And I believe that God gives us certainty in every aspect of our lives. And so I'm looking forward to this journey that we will go on together. And I'm looking forward to the series too. All the best, and we'll pass it over to you for the first program. Thank you so much, Barry. Looking forward to sharing. The Search for Certainty. I came across an interesting article in the Sydney Morning Herald back in 2009, and it was entitled The Age of Uncertainty. And as I looked at this article, I discovered that this really does sum up the times that we are living in. We're living in a time where there's economic uncertainty, great political uncertainty, there's environmental uncertainty, there's a lot of uncertainty in society, whichever way you look. Whichever way you crunch the numbers, you'll, you'll discover that there is great uncertainty today and people are wondering, where do we turn? Is there anything left that we can trust? I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is something that we can trust and that something is the Word of God. I don't want you to take my word for it. In this very first presentation, we will discover beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is an incredible prophecy that God has given some two and a half thousand years ago that that foretold the rise and fall of nations from the day that the prophecy was given all the way to our very day today. There are many individuals who ask themselves the question, why has God given us prophecy? It's fascinating to, to discover that approximately one-third of the Bible is prophecy and prediction. And so people ask the question, it's a very good question, why has God given so much prophecy in the Bible? Is it simply to feed our curiosity or or is there a greater purpose? Jesus on one occasion, on the eve of his death in John 14, 29, he shared these words with his disciples. And now I have told you beforehand that when it does come to pass, you may believe. So here we have the purpose of Bible prophecy. That purpose is that when we see what God has foretold come to pass, that we may believe. Believe in who? Believe in Jesus Christ. We all know that beautiful scripture in John three sixteen, where the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. 
And so we discover from the very outset that the Bible prophecy is centered always in Jesus. There's an interesting scripture that God gives in the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, where God here makes an astounding statement. He, in fact, puts his reputation on the line. These are the words that God shares. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Notice these words. God here says, I know the end from the beginning. Before it comes to pass, I will make it known. Why does God share with us prophecies where he outlines the future? It's so that we may believe, that we may believe that God's word is true, it is trustworthy, it is dependable, and it gives us hope, for it is centered in Jesus. In this presentation, we're going to go to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a a wonderful book of the Old Testament, and this book outlines not only the history of the world in an incredible way that we'll discover together, but it also gives us hope. It helps us to know that God is in control. This world may look like it's going out of control, but God is ultimately in control of this world. And if God is in control of this world, we will discover that God can be in control of our very lives. So let's begin this presentation by spending a moment or two in prayer and asking God to lead us before we open up his word. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We ask and pray that as we open your word together, that you will open our hearts and our minds, that we may be able to understand the things that you have for us. Bless us in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to go to the ancient city of Babylon in modern-day Iraq, where the story of Daniel begins. Now, just a little bit of background on Daniel and who Daniel was. Daniel lived um, about 600 years before Christ, and he lived in the city of Jerusalem. He was part of the royal family there in Jerusalem. However, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, um, king of the of, of, of that great empire of Babylon, the most powerful nation in the then known world at that particular time. He came to Jerusalem, besieged it, and he took Daniel and, and some of the cream of the crop captive and marched them 1,500 kilometers to Babylon. And this is where this story begins. It begins in Babylon when one evening, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, It says, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. They replied, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king had a dream. We've all had dreams. Most of the time it's because we've eaten too much and too late the night before. 
But in the ancient world, the dreams of the kings were significant because the kings believed that the gods were seeking to communicate important messages to them through these dreams. And so the king wanted to know what he dreamed. So he brought in his wise men, uh, those that were paid a, a significant amount of money, I'm sure, in order to share with the king what he dreamed or what, or I should say, what the meaning of the dream was. However, this time they were, they were in for a surprise. The king had forgotten his dream. He didn't know what the dream was. He couldn't remember it. He couldn't recall it. And so he asked them not only to give the interpretation, but first and foremost, to give him the dream that he dreamed. Notice the consequences if they could not tell the king what he dreamed. Daniel chapter 2 verse 9 continues, If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. Therefore, and that was, that their heads would be put on the chopping block and that they would lose their lives. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Now the king could find out whether the wise men could indeed communicate with the gods as they said they could. It reminds me of a story that I heard of, a, of an individual who rang up a psychic hotline. And this individual asked um, if, if, if the psychic could, could help him understand what his future held. Before he went any further, he said to the psychic, I'll tell you what, I will give you the money that, that you require for your services if first and foremost you can tell me what my credit card number is. And at that point in time, the phone went silent. That's the way it is today. There are many psychics out there. There are, there are many individuals claiming to know the future, but they really do not know the true future. There is only one that knows the future and will discover that is God. So the Bible says, The decree went out and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to also kill them. Now Daniel came in before the king, and unlike the wise men who tried any and every way to wiggle out of this, of this deathly situation, Daniel went in asking the king for time that he could pray to the God of heaven, the God that he believed in, and ask the God of heaven to reveal to Daniel and to the king what the king dreamed and what the dream meant. And so the Bible says Daniel did pray with his three friends and God revealed to Daniel in a night vision or what the king dreamed and its interpretation. There's a powerful promise that God makes in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 7, where God says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. This is a powerful promise because it, it tells us very clearly that nothing that is of, of consequence to us happens without God first and foremost revealing that to us through his servants, the prophets. And so Daniel went in before the king. And this is what Daniel shared with the king. Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, we read, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel shared with the king that his dream 
that would begin in the days of King Nebuchadnezzar would go all the way until the last or to the latter days of earth's history. And Daniel then went on and shared with the king what he dreamed in his sleep that evening before. You, O king, were watching, said Daniel, and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Wow, what a dream. Is this all there was that God revealed to Daniel or was there more? Did God bring Daniel to this point and then leave him? Or did God also make the interpretation of this incredible dream? Notice Daniel went on and he said, Not only this is the dream, but now we, that is God through me, will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So here Daniel now begins to share with the king this dream that disturbed him from out of his sleep. Now why did this, why did this image have such, such an incredible impact on this ancient king? King Nebuchadnezzar, he was used to images. Images were throughout the empire of Babylon, throughout the then known world. But this image was different in that it was a composite image made of a number of different metals, whereas the images of that day were generally one metal. And as we'll discover, uh, as far as Babylon was concerned, those images were, were mainly made of gold for it was the golden empire. Daniel went on and he said in Daniel 2.38, You, O king, are this head of gold. Daniel made it clear to King Nebuchadnezzar that the kingdom of Babylon was indeed the head of gold. The Babylonian kingdom was an incredible kingdom, one of the, one of the greatest kingdoms that has ever existed it was known as the Golden Empire. The city of Babylon was a beautiful city, an incredible city. I've had the opportunity of going into the Pergamum Museum there in Berlin, Germany. And there in the Pergamum Museum, we have the famous Ishtar Gate uh, that was transported there to Germany by, by archaeologists. And um, it is there to, to show the splendor of the Babylonian kingdom. You have the processional wall or parts of it there in the, in the Pergamum Museum. In fact, Babylon had one of the seven ancient, ancient wonders of, of the then known world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which many individuals um, who uh, I'm sure have heard. Dr. Werner Keller uh, Bible historian had this to say, summing up uh, the power and the glory and the grandeur of the kingdom of Babylon. She wrote, its ancient power and glory had no equal in the ancient world. In fact, the Bible in Isaiah 13 verse 19 
Isaiah chapter 13, verse 19, Babylon, the glory of kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar believed that his kingdom would last forever. We have bricks that have been discovered from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and on those bricks um, appear his name. So we know that um, they are from him, and he is the one who is... um, who is attributed to, to building this, this incredible city. And on these bricks and on tablets that have been found, we have the words, may it last forever. King Nebuchadnezzar believed that his kingdom of Babylon would last forever, that there would be no succeeding kingdom. In fact, in the very next chapter, in chapter 3, he made an image some 30 meters high of gold. Not various metals, but all of gold from head to toe. So he was sharing with God in no uncertain terms that he had a different plan to what God's plan was. God's plan was that there would be a number of kingdoms, but his plan was there would be only one, and that would be Babylon. But God made it clear that the kingdom of Babylon would come to an end. And so Daniel prophesied and he shared with the king, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And that's exactly what took place next. Historians and the history books uh, clearly tell us that the kingdom of Babylon was followed by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And they ruled the then known world from 539 BC to 331 BC, a period of approximately 200 years. It's interesting that God... Uh, gave the symbol of silver to describe the kingdom of Media and Persia, had the opportunity of going to the British Museum. And there in the British Museum is a number of artifacts um, from, from the then known world. And when you come into the Persian exhibit, there you have a number of silver items that, that depict uh, the the kingdom of Persia, Media and Persia, which was wealthy in silver for it received its taxes in silver and grew very wealthy through silver. We have the interesting story of of how Babylon fell and how the Medes and the Persians overtook the Babylonians. In Daniel chapter 5, there we have the description given by Daniel of how Babylon fell one evening as God had predicted Some 150 years before, through his prophet Isaiah, um, Cyrus the Great, he diverted the river Euphrates and he went underneath the walls and the, the gates miraculously to the city of Babylon were left open just as God had predicted through his servant Isaiah. In fact, 150 years before Babylon fell, God not only predicted how Babylon would fall, but who would be the one that would bring down Babylon. The Bible says in Isaiah 45 verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings. And notice these incredible words, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. An incredible event that God predicted some 150 years before, and it all took place just as Isaiah predicted. Well, the Bible goes on and it tells us that 
after the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, there would be a third kingdom, just as God shared and, and Daniel shared with the king. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And so we know from, from history that the Medes and the Persians, their kingdom was followed by the kingdom of Greece. Greece ruled the then known world from 331 to 168 BC. And it, was, it grew great um, through a number of kings, but its first king was Alexander the Great. And I'm sure we have all heard of Alexander the Great, who at the age of 23 um, took over the kingdom from his father, King Philip of Macedonia. And as I, as I think of the origins of, of Alexander, I cannot help but feel a little bit of... Um, Pride and the warm, fuzzy feelings that go along with um, being from that part of the world, Macedonia, where where my ancestors come from. And Alexander the Great, he was he was is considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tactician and um, general this world has ever known. In the space of some ten years, he conquered the then known world. He conquered some four million square kilometers. Uh, historians tell us that he marched his his troops from from one side of the then known world all the way to the eastern borders of India, and finally um, he returned from there, believing that there was no more land to conquer. And so Alexander the Great, he conquered the world, but he could not conquer himself. And sadly, uh, many historians believe that he died of of alcoholic poisoning, just drank too much, just drank his sorrows, and at the age of 33, he died. His kingdom was divided and given to his four generals who, who continued the kingdom for, for, for quite a period until another kingdom arose. And the Bible says, Daniel said, and there would be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron that would take over from the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And so we have Rome became that fourth kingdom, and Rome ruled the world, the then known world, for a period of approximately 600 years, from 168 BC to 476 AD. Rome was and today is known as the Iron Monarchy. It was ruthless. Uh, Rome was ruthless. There was no resisting uh, the Roman juggernaut. In fact, one historian, prominent historian, Edward Gibbon, in his, in his epic series, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he wrote these words that beautifully summed up the power of Rome. To resist was fatal, and it was impossible to fly. You may recall Jesus Christ. He was crucified on a cross. The Romans, they reserved the punishment of crucifixion for the worst of the worst. And um, you, couldn't be a, you couldn't be crucified if you were a Roman citizen. It was for those who weren't Roman citizens. And Jesus was placed on a Roman cross. And so here we have God predicting that there would be four empires we have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Who was to follow next? Who would be the fifth empire? Notice what Daniel went on and said in Daniel chapter 2, verse 41. Whereas 
you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided. Notice here what God said. God said there would not be a fifth empire, but there would be the division of the Roman Empire. What an incredible statement. What an incredible prediction. If you and I were predicting the future, we would possibly go with the fifth and sixth and the seventh empire. But no, God said there would be only four and then there would be the division of the Roman Empire. Notice, we have today a divided Europe. The Bible can indeed be trusted. God's word has proven the test of time. There are many that say, impossible. How on earth could God predict two and a half thousand years of history in advance? Impossible. The skeptics don't believe it. They, they, they believe it. the book of Daniel must have been written after the event. It must have been written in the first or the second century BC when the Romans began to, to rule the world. It was impossible for it to be written uh, during the time of Daniel, some five to six hundred years before Christ. However, we know from the book of Matthew, chapter 24 and verse 15, Jesus spoke of the book of Daniel. He spoke of Daniel the prophet. So we know that Daniel's book was around when Jesus um, was around. Furthermore, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus records that Alexander the Great read from the book of Daniel in about 330 BC. So where do we go from here? What does God want to have us know from here on in in the prophecy? We will deal with that when we come back. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, dot org.au. Our postal address is 3abn Inc. PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. For many years, hundreds of years in fact, the skeptics have doubted the book of Daniel, its uh, authenticity, its um, reliability as far as uh, when Christians have always believed that it was written. These doubts came to a sudden end when... In 1946 or 47, um, a young Bedouin boy discovered what has become known as the greatest discovery in in archaeological um, uh, matters. The Dead Sea Scrolls discovered there in the caves of Qumran there near the Dead Sea in Israel. This was the greatest discovery um, as far as biblical archaeology is concerned, because before this period of time, the earliest Bible manuscripts we had were from a thousand years ago. And so the skeptics had a field day. How can we trust 
the Bible when the Bible claims to have been written between 1500 BC to about 100 AD and the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Bible are dated 1000 years after the New Testament was written. How can we know that the Bible is accurate today, that the same Bible that we have today is what was given by God all those years ago? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls put pay to, to those doubts and to those skeptics, for as the, as the scholars compared the Dead Sea Scrolls, fragments and, and entire books of the Bible, uh, especially the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, that was found uh, in, these, in these caves that described the Bible in an incredible way. We have these scrolls that are dated from the 1st and 2nd century BC, and along with the material that was discovered, we have fragments of the book of Daniel. And as the scholars compared those fragments from 100 to 200 BC with the book of Daniel that we have today, they discovered that it was identical. And so God's word can be trusted. God has shared, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. This is good news because this tells me very clearly that God is in control. This world may look like it's spiraling out of control, but God has his hand upon this world. He is in control and there is nothing that catches God by surprise and there is nothing that ought to catch his people who are spending time in his word by surprise. God has given us a heads up. He has given us all the information that we need, not only to know the future, but to have our confidence placed in the one who is behind the future, the one who holds the future in his hands, and that is Jesus Christ. And so that's what Bible prophecy is all about. It's not about dates. It's not about people. It's not about kingdoms. It's about Jesus Christ and putting your faith and trust in him. As we continue this incredible journey through this incredible prophecy, we discover that God, in a very specific and a very precise way, unlike the psychics and unlike the Nostradamuses of this world who give vague predictions that can be taken this way or that way or whatever way you choose, God here gives very, very specific Um, instruction as to how the future of this world will unfold. Notice what we read in Daniel chapter 2 verse 42. Daniel goes on and he shares with King Nebuchadnezzar, And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Notice here Daniel shares that the kingdom that Roman Empire will be divided, some of it will be strong, some of it will be weak, partly strong and partly fragile. Historians tell us that between 351 AD and 476 AD, the barbaric invaders came in from the north, and as they poured down on the decaying Roman Empire, they, they divided it in approximately 20 different regions, these, 20, these Germanic tribes um, that gained victory and territory there in the Western Roman Empire. However, of those 20 or so uh, Germanic tribes that, that initially became part of the breakup of the Roman Empire, we have 10 nations that were eventually formed. I find this fascinating. 
Because as I count my toes, and you can do the same and count your own toes, we discover that we have 10 toes. And we have 10 kingdoms, just as God said. And as the toes of and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. What's also interesting regarding the strength of this kingdom and the fragility of this kingdom, we have... Ten nations that were formed, but only seven of these nations still exist today. In fact, the nations that were formed at the end of that period, um, we have the Alamani who became the Germans. We have the Burgundians who became the Swiss today. The Franks, that's quite obvious. That's easy. That's the French. The Lombards are the Italians today. The Saxons are the English The Suvi are the Portuguese. The Visigoths are the Spanish. We have three other tribes, the Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals. They today are extinct. Now, why are they extinct? That's a very good question, and we'll answer that in a future presentation. So stay tuned. But notice what God went on and said through his servant Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, verse 43. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not cleave one to another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Fascinating prediction here that God makes. Notice what he says. He says, just as iron doesn't mix with ceramic clay, they're going to try and mingle with the seed of men, but they will not cleave one to another. Now, what does it mean to mingle with the seed of man? This is old English simply for intermarrying. What God was saying is that the nations of the world, the nations in the then known world, I should say, there in Western Europe where the Roman Empire broke up, they would seek to intermarry. Different kings and queens would give their sons and their daughters in order to reunite the Roman Empire back as one empire. If you go to Frederiksborg Castle, that's a bit of a mouthful, there in Denmark, you'll discover there an interesting painting, and it's the family tree of Queen Victoria and King Christian, which clearly outline the European monarchies and how just before World War I began, Europe um, was, was intertwined as far as the monarchies that were all related. It's an incredible thought. All the European monarchies that were pretty much all related. In fact, Roy Allen Anderson, uh, a historian in his book Unfolding Daniel's Prophecies, he wrote these words. The time was when Queen Victoria of England was the grandmother and King Christian of Denmark was the grandfather of most of the crown heads of Europe. But after World War I, nearly all the monarchies of Europe had vanished. Fascinating. So what God shared all those years ago came to pass with incredible detail and accuracy. What did God say? They will mingle with the seed of men, but... Notice these seven most powerful words that you will read in all of Scripture. But, notice these words, they will not adhere to one another. They will not adhere to one another. I came across one historian who refers to the Roman Empire as history's Humpty Dumpty, where all the king's horses and all the king's men 
couldn't put the mighty Roman Empire together again. And that's exactly the way historians have told us things took place. We have a number of individuals who tried valiantly to bring the Roman Empire back to one empire. We have Charlemagne in the 8th century who attempted to reunite Western Europe. He failed. We have Charles V. He attempted to reunite Europe during the 15th century, and, and he failed. We have Napoleon who comes onto the scene of history in the 18th century, and he valiantly tried to bring Europe under one government, under one rule, and he too failed. Notice what we find written in Napoleon's journal. He wrote, There will be one Europe, there will be one currency, there will be one language, there will be one government over all Europe. I find it interesting that a, a minister came to Napoleon on one occasion as he was preparing for battle to head north there to do battle with the Russians. And the minister came to Napoleon and he shared with him that based on Daniel's prophecy, he would not conquer the world, that he would not conquer, he would not bring Europe back together again. For God had said, those seven all-powerful words, they will not adhere to one another. As the story goes, Napoleon pulled out his sword. He was so angry with this minister that he almost put his sword through him. We know the story of the Battle of Waterloo where Napoleon was defeated. Notice what he wrote after his defeat at Waterloo. God Almighty is too much for me. Napoleon realized that he was in a battle, not with man, but he was in a battle against God. He was in a battle against the Word of God. And the Bible is clear that God's Word can be trusted. Jesus himself said, The heavens and the earth, they will pass away, but my Word will not pass away. Following Napoleon, we have Kaiser, Wilhelm II, he plunged the world into World War I and he had the same aspiration as Napoleon and Charles V and Charlemagne, those that had gone before him. One intent, one purpose, and that was to reunite Europe. Once again, another minister came along and he had this to share with, with the Kaiser. He shared, based on Daniel's prophecy, you will never reunite Europe. And notice the Kaiser's response. Daniel's prediction does not fit my plans. Sound very similar? Sounds like an ancient king some two and a half thousand years ago who decided to build an image all of gold. Who was that? You'll remember that was King Nebuchadnezzar. God's plans for King Nebuchadnezzar, God's plans for the world did not fit within the framework of Nebuchadnezzar. He had other plans for God. But just like Nebuchadnezzar, the Kaiser's plans, they failed and God's word remains true. If you go over to the city of Metz there in northern France, you'll come across a, a great, big and beautiful cathedral. And 
at the front of this cathedral, you have a number of statues of the Old Testament prophets. One of those statues at the front of um, the cathedral there is the prophet Daniel. Now, the parishioners in this particular chapel, I should say, or this cathedral, they had a problem. Their problem was they had a leaky iron roof and they really needed the, the roof replaced. And so the Kaiser heard about their problem and he made a suggestion. This was his suggestion. I'm willing to give you the necessary means in order for you to replace this iron roof. However, there is one condition. And the parishioners were all ears. Yes, the Kaiser, what's the condition? What do we need to do in order for you to give us all the money that we need to put a brand new roof on our cathedral. He said, this is the one condition. I want you to take the head of the statue of Daniel the prophet, take his head off and place and place my head or a statue of, of my head on Daniel's, on Daniel's uh, statue body and, and do this as a, as a symbol and, uh, and as a prophecy and prediction that I plan to break Daniel's prophecy, I plan to show that I will indeed reunite the world and break that prophecy that Daniel gave all those years ago. You can go to that church and you can discover that there is a document there that shows um, that the Kaiser and the parishioners both signed this agreement. And we know the rest of the story. The Kaiser... He ended his life without his dream being fulfilled. And so we have Hitler. He comes onto the scene. And where Hitler, where the Kaiser failed, he believed that he would succeed. An interesting little um, after story, I guess, on, on the Kaiser and what he wanted to do with the, the statue of Daniel is that Hitler ordered the parishioners to put Daniel's head back on the statue because the prophecy still stood firm. And so we have Hitler, and he plunged the world into the Second World War with an army of five million um, willing German soldiers. He planned to do what the Kaiser had failed to do, what many others had failed to do. Many still living today, millions still living today, um, will remember hearing those words, Deutschland über alles, um, that piercing voice of Hitler who sought to inaugurate the Third Reich. What do those words mean? Deutschland über alles, Germany overall. Hitler had an aim for Germany to rule for a thousand years, the 1,000-year Third Reich. In fact, Hitler, his, his aim printed on one of the stamps of the time, one people, one empire, one leader. As far as Hitler was concerned, there would be one Europe. He would be the leader and Germany would rule for over for at least one millennia. Notice the words that Hitler shared back in 1941 with his people. On one occasion, he said this, to my people, we do not need anything from God. We do not ask him for anything except that he may let us alone. We want to fight our own war with our own guns without God. We want to gain our victory without the help of God. What Hitler was saying is, God, thanks but no thanks. We're okay. Leave us alone. Allow us to fight this battle. Do not intervene. Do not come into, in our way. Let us do what we want to do. Fascinating. Hitler understood, I am sure, 
God's role and relation in human history. So here we have it. History's Humpty Dumpty, Charlemagne, Charles V, Napoleon, Kaiser, Hitler, all with one word beside their name, defeated. Defeated by the word of God. What did God say? They will not adhere to one another. Let me repeat seven of the most powerful words written in Holy Scripture. Words that you and I can put our faith and trust in. Words that have stood the test of time. Two and a half thousand of years of history have come and gone, yet these words have stood the test of time. God can be trusted. God is true. God can have you place your life in his hands. And as he has taken care of this world, as he has taken care of all things, he can take care of you. I find it interesting that after World War II, the European Parliament and uh, the, the European Union was formed. Today, the European Parliament is there based in Brussels in, in Belgium. And today we have some 27 members, states of the European Union. As I went online and did a little, little bit of research, I discovered that the first six countries to join the European Union were Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. And notice the year that they joined the European Union or formed the European Union. It was 1952, 1952, just after World War II. So once again, man is doing his best to tell God that he has other plans other than the plans that God has given in his word. And today, the European Union has one cry, many voices, but one people. The euro currency came out not so long ago at the turn of the new millennium in order to try and bring Europe together economically. I came across this interesting front page of Time magazine back in August of 22, 2011. And this was straight out of the book of Daniel. I'm sure the authors were not aware of, of the title they had given this particular Time magazine, but it fulfilled Bible prophecy. And it was like reading Daniel chapter 2 all over again. Notice the title. Time Magazine, August 22, 2011, on the front cover, we have these words, The Decline and Fall of Europe. The Decline and Fall of Europe. Inside that magazine, these words, leading the article, The End of Europe. Its economic union is unraveling. London is ablaze and the continent and the continent's once dependable trading partner, the United States, is too feeble to save the day or the euro. Say goodbye to the old order. Fascinating. Here are, here are economists, politicians, here are, are news individuals tracking world events, and they are coming to the conclusion that as try as they might to bring Europe back under, under one political system, it continues to fail over and over again, hence the title, The Decline and Fall of Europe. I find these words fascinating, written by Charles Downer Hazen in his book, Modern European History. 
he sums up he sums up Europe and and what has taken place. Europe has always refused to be dominated by a single nation or a single man. It has run the risk several times in its history of passing under such a yoke, but it always, in the end, succeeded in escaping it. Wow, what an amazing statement. Notice this statement from Lectures on Modern History, these words. What was the principal adversary of this tremendous power? By whom was it checked and resisted and put down? Speaking of the Humpty Dumpty of Europe, by none and by nothing but the direct and manifest interposition of God. So historians have come to one conclusion, and that is that Europe has not been united for one reason and one reason alone, and that is because God said it wouldn't. So where to now? Where will this world end up? Where are things heading? Is this where the prophecy ends? Well, Daniel continued to share with King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, we read these words. And in the days of these kings, that is, in the days when world leaders, in particular there in Western Europe, are seeking to bring the, the European empire back together again under one political system. And in the days of these kings, notice these words, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For how long? Forever. Notice we are living now in the time when God is about to set up his everlasting kingdom of love, peace, joy, and happiness. In the days of these kings, we are living in a time when, when Europe is pulling out all the stops. European leaders are meeting day in and day out in order to bring the European empire back together again. And God says, at this very time in earth's history, the God of heaven, he will, he will usher in his everlasting kingdom of love. Notice the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation shares these same words. Revelation eleven fifteen. we read, And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the good news, my friend. This is the good news. The good news is, that this world, this world will not be destroyed by man, but this world will come to an end when Jesus Christ comes to establish his kingdom, which will last forever and ever and ever. That's the final kingdom. But before we go there, notice how Daniel concludes his message to the king. In the very next verse, verse 45, we read, Daniel shares with the king, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. You be the judge, my friend. Has God's word come true to the very minutest detail? Has the vision, has the dream indeed be certain? Has the interpretation been sure? The answer is obvious. We are now living in a time where we are awaiting the coming of Jesus 
I am so looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the day when Jesus will bring an end to all the suffering, the pain and the sorrow, when there will be no more death and disease and destruction and divorce, when the former things would have passed away. We join together and look forward to that wonderful everlasting kingdom of love that Jesus Christ will usher in very soon at his second appearing. The question is, will you be part of his everlasting kingdom of love? Will you give your heart to the one who can give you peace and happiness and hope? Will you allow the one who is in control of this world to be in control of your life? Will you allow him to guide and to lead your life the way that God has led and guided in the rise and the fall of nations? My question is, will you do this and will you do it today? May God bless you and may you draw nearer and nearer to Jesus as we await his return. I'd like to conclude with a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the wonderful promise you have given us that you are indeed coming back soon. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you will be the one that will usher in the final kingdom. Man, try as he might, cannot produce the kind of kingdom that we so desperately long for. Only you, Lord, can produce a kingdom that is filled with love, peace, joy, and happiness. We look forward to that kingdom. It is my prayer, it is our prayer, that we will all be ready to look up on that great day and to see you come and to be ready to receive you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.
That was Sarah Draggett singing I Have a Redeemer. 